everyone, and welcome back to 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries. I think we can all agree on this. Everyone needs role models, especially kids. TV, movies, and cartoons are creations that entertain more often than inform in the case of kids, whose heroes there are usually some type of animal with human abilities enhanced by superpowers. But when that child begins to experience the real world, it can be a big change. To enter that world without values and character or a sense of history puts every child at a disadvantage. And that's where books, yes, the printed word, with pages you can actually feel and turn, and no pop-ups appear, can be a big help. You fans might recall the author interview we did last year with Brad Meltzer and co-author-producer Josh Mentz, called The First Conspiracy, The Secret Plot to Kill George Washington. Both of these history buffs have spent most of their careers either writing books or doing television documentaries and shows, like Brad Meltzer's Lost History on the History Channel, as well as others. Now Brad has launched a terrific series of children's books, authored by himself, and its characters and scenes are brilliantly brought to life by Chris Eliopoulos, and this series is called Ordinary People Change the World. Through these engaging stories, which are meticulously researched for accuracy, we are introduced to that person, by themselves, as young children. A brilliant idea, as children are most influenced by other children, and it makes the book engaging to kids, and adults, by the way, from the start. Sitting on my desktop as I write this are copies of I Am Walt Disney and I Am Marie Curie, and I'm still grinning from ear to ear at how interesting and engaging I found these to be and wondering how many kids will be inspired to dream, and wonder, and try, and possibly fail, and then try again, because one of these stories inspired them. And these two on my desk are the latest release, with three million copies already in print, featuring the stories of notables from Rosa Parks to Amelia Earhart to Neil Armstrong and George Washington and many others. They all faced incredible obstacles. They all had a dream and they all inspire. And now, our interview with Brad Meltzer that you're going to find fascinating. And stay tuned after for a special announcement of a new show coming to the 1001 Stories Network. And before we begin, please forgive the first 4 minutes and 30 seconds. We had a bad connection and we weren't aware of it until that point. But after that, it smooths out pretty well. So hang with us. Right. The story and the true. artwork and the whole idea behind it, I think is absolutely great. I love these books. They're wonderful. No, I appreciate it. You know, we started this book series uh, nearly a decade ago when I was tired of my own kids looking at reality TV show stars and people who were famous for being famous and thinking that that's a hero. And I tell my kids all the time that that's fame and being famous is very different than being a hero. So we started, we actually started, uh, I want to teach my daughter about Amelia Earhart. I'm like, I'll give her a better hero to look up to. Here's Amelia Earhart. And if I tell my daughter that Amelia Earhart flew across the Atlantic Ocean, my daughter's like, big deal, Dad. Everyone flies across the Atlantic. But if I tell her that Amelia Earhart, when she, and this is true, when she was seven years old, she built a homemade roller coaster in her backyard, that she took a wooden crate, she put roller skating wheels on the bottom, and that she pushed it to the roof of a tool shed, and then she gets in the gets in this crate on these crazy wheels and comes flying down the side from the roof of her tool shed and goes flying through the air. That's actually the first time Amelia Earhart ever flew. She was seven years old. Oh, wow. And when my daughter hears that, she's like, yes. 
Tell me more about that. <laughs> and suddenly Amelia Earhart isn't some dead black and white figure in a history book. She's alive again, and she's bold, and she's daring. She's you know exciting to watch. And we realized that's what we wanted to do. And so we started with I'm Amelia Earhart. We did I'm Abraham Lincoln. We did I'm Rosa Parks and Albert Einstein. For my son who loves sports, I was like, you want to see what a real sports hero is? It's not some you know, a millionaire. It's this guy. Meet I'm Jackie Robinson. And I did Jane Goodall. We did Lucille Ball because I wanted my daughter to have a female entertainment hero who wasn't just famous for being thin and pretty. That Lucy stood for the idea it's okay to be different. That's the best part of us is we're all different. And we even did I Am Helen Keller, where we put uh, real Braille into the book so kids could close their eyes and say, feel these dots. The character says, my name's Helen. This is my name. What's your name? And I watched my 17-year-old son, who's too old for these books, right? These are, these are little kid biography books, you know, all illustrated like children's books. And my 17-year-old son has his eyes closed, and he's feeling the dots, and I am Helen Keller and the Braille. And he's like, Dad, this one's actually good. And I was like, what, what's wrong with the other ones? You know? <laughs> Um, but obviously, you know, here's the one thing that happened that I know you as a, as the history person will appreciate is something amazing happened with our books as the election of 2016 was approaching and Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump were at the heights of beating each other's heads open every day. And two of our books started selling more than any others. And they were, I am George Washington and I am Martin Luther King Jr. And it wasn't, it wasn't a Democrat or Republican thing. It was that parents and grandparents on both sides were tired of turning on their TV and seeing two politicians and what they wanted to show their kids were leaders. And we all know there's a huge difference between a leader and a politician. Um, and I love that people have used our I Am series to basically fight back against the cynicism and teach their kids what real leaders look like. They use our books to build libraries of real heroes for their kids, their grandkids, their nieces, and their nephews. And that obviously leads us to the two newest books in the series. And those two new books are I Am Walt Disney and I Am Marie Curie. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. We are, we have, every time I do a book event or go on book tour, which we are for this book as well, inevitably kids bring me their list. Their, they don't even, it's not a request list. Little kids make demands. And the number one requested hero um, that we get is Walt. Everyone wants Walt Disney. So we <laughs> finally, I, I looked into his life. And, you know, the books for me, it's never about doing who's popular. Um, they're not history books. They're books about values, books about character, because that's what's missing in America today is good character. And on the back of I'm Amelia Earhart, it says, I know no bounds. On the back of I'm Abraham Lincoln, it says, I will speak my mind and speak for others. On the back of I am Walt Disney, it says, I know that real magic, you know, comes from you. It, it empowers kids to know their own, you know, their own capabilities. And, and when you look at Walt Disney's life, we see Walt Disney as this incredible success story. He's the ultimate you know, American success story. But when you look at his life, you see how much failure there was. Even his own father didn't, didn't even, wasn't supportive of him being an artist. It was his aunt who actually gave him a book to draw on and said, you should keep doing that drawing thing your dad is not so fond of. And when Walt Disney is, starts his, his first film company, it fails miserably. They tell him it's so bad he's going to have to declare bankruptcy. He's 21 years old. He's so poor, he has to sleep in his office, and he takes baths once a week in the local train station. And I want my kids to know that before you get all the happy ending and before you get the magic kingdom, 
there's hard work and failure and hard work and failure that you have to go through. We got to teach our kids that today. And that's what, as a book, I Am Walt Disney stands for. I think you've done a, a great job with both of the books here that I've seen. And I want to compliment you, too, on the way you have the, the, the main character telling us the story, which is terrific. And you've also really done your homework. Uh, you knew that was you, you illustrate that there was even a railroad that ran through the little town that he grew up in in Missouri. Lots of little things that obviously were pulled from his bio and his life, and you did it accurately, and you did it, and you went deep. But the story isn't deep. The story is easy to follow, and it's him telling us in brief glimpses about the things that made him what it, what he was. And you did the same well, thing with Marie was, Curie. Right. Brilliant. Yeah, no, no, and I appreciate it, you know, but but it's it's the best part of his story, right? I mean, he when you know he had this. Tiny small town that he loved, where everything was just happy. It was his happy place. And when he becomes a father, he used to take his daughters to the merry-go-round, and they'd be on the merry-go-round. But he'd be like, "This is boring for adults. There's nothing for any parents to do here. We got to do something better." So he starts doing research, you know, and he starts looking into even places, you know, of course amusement parks, but places that people go like Gettysburg, and and historical sites. And he says, "We're going to make a new park." This place is going to have stuff from the past, stuff from the future, and and like a fantasy world as well, a fantasy land. And they're like, well, what about stuff from the present? He's like, nope, nothing from the present will be here. And when he started designing it, and he said, we're going to have a railroad that runs right through it. It's going to be a simpler time. It's really hard to tell whether he was building something from his imagination or he's just building his childhood home. And when you look at it, it's it's uncanny how how true it is. And I think for all of us, we all need to find that happy place for ourselves. We all need to find our own magic kingdoms. And, and the book obviously ends with that exact message for kids is that, you know, when do you stop being a kid? You know, when, is it when you stop dreaming? Then we should never stop dreaming. You know, it's like Peter Pan says, like, right, is like, um, you know, if, if you really believe, you can fly. And I want kids to have that positive message, too. And, and for me, I should tell you, because this is actually the longer form we can talk about it. The book is super personal for me because I live in Florida. And we have a tradition in my family that once a year, we, on the way to school, while I'm driving my kids in carpool, we pass the school and we surprise the kids and say, you're not going to school today. Instead, we're going straight to Disney World. <laughs> and, and, and the reason that we do it is to remind my kids that there can always be magic every day. And um, it made my kids, you know, every day they'd be like, Dad, we're going to Disney World. Dad, we're going to Disney World. Like, I mean, every day became exciting when they were little. <laughs> yeah. But but again, we, we can't lose sight, all kidding aside, uh, of magic and what magic is. And when I was a little kid, you know, guys like Jim Henson and people like Walt Disney taught me you could use your creativity to put good into this world. And to this day, all I'm sitting here trying to do is use these books. You know, I know I write thrillers and I write these nonfiction history books, but for the kids' books that we do, is I'm trying to use my creativity to put some good into this world. Where in the world did you find uh, Christopher Eliopoulos? What a wonderful yeah, illustrator. Yeah, so let's talk about him. Yeah, Chris Eliopoulos is our secret weapon. He's the artist on the book series. And, you know, if you look at his art style, it's kind of like Charlie Brown meets Calvin and Hobbes. Um, two things that I just love and adore and I know, you know, is, is incredible to look at. And I, listen, I want my kids to be off their phones. I want my kids to get off their screens. But the only way you're going to give them that and make that happen is if you give them something better to look at. And Chris, because of his amazing cartoon style, has something that kids love. And it's easy for a cartoonist to do cute. It might even be easy for some to do funny. But the hardest thing to do is to do something that shows heart. 
and Chris shows heart. So we want you to fall in love with Walt Disney. We want you to fall in love with Marie Curie. And we can only do that with Chris's artwork because it just it brings the entire story to life. Yeah, uh, it's fantastic. And the detail is is incredible. And you can tell that a lot of what the work he did, he borrowed actual photographs so he could get the time and the place and the, and the scene perfect, including what the well, people he is were so, wearing. Yeah, I mean, he is, we, we are so nerdy that, you know, the references, like you can see in the Marie Curie book when he's drawing her university. I mean, he's drawing every part of that Gothic architecture, even though it's a cartoon. He just wants every kid to see it as a real thing. And I think, you know, one of the most important parts is at the very end, the last page of the book always shows the real person. So you see Walt Disney at Disney World, you see Marie Curie. And um, we had a friend of ours who, he's white, his daughter's African-American, he adopted his daughter, and they were reading I Am Rosa Parks, one of the other books we had done in the series. This was right when the books first came out, and he's reading it with her. And he gets to the last page and sees that real photograph of Rosa Parks at the very end after he's read this cartoon book. And he says to, she says to her dad, wait, this really happened. This really happened. And it was in that moment that he said, you know, listen, he's a mixed race family. He's like, I should have had this conversation long ago, but he was suddenly having the first conversation about race with his daughter. And I think for us, the impact that these books have had on kids around the country has been staggering. Our favorite letter came from a, a woman who wrote and said, hey, Brad, this is the first year on this Halloween that my daughter's not going dressed as a princess. Thanks to your books, she's going dressed as Amelia Earhart. <laughs> and that is just like the most humbling thing you can ask for. Well, that's fantastic. That is really bad. And, and you're, you're right. That's the best compliment of all. I've got a little yeah. side story I'd like to share with you about Walt Disney. Yeah. And we have a moment. So if you don't mind, I will. Please. I grew up in Pasadena. Uh, and my father was with General Electric, what they called the Large Lamp Division, which was basically I've all. Been, by the way, I've been waiting to hear their story. <laughs> which was you, basically. You warned me it was coming and I can't wait. I can't wait. That was basically all the lighting. Uh, the general General Electric sold everything from uh, house and Christmas tree decorations to um, to all kinds of industrial to Lockheed to you name it. If it was lighting, he was the representative for GE in that area. Disney got in touch when Disney when when Disneyland when they had they had acquired the property and the plans were being put together, and my dad had that chance to meet him. And my dad was an engineer uh, as much as he was a salesman. And uh, they got along very, very well. And Disneyland had a lot of lighting needs, as, as you can well imagine, whether you go there uh, day or night. And they did a lot of work together and became very good friends. And it got to the point where on, uh, on some Fridays, uh, my dad would call Walt and say, hey, when are you wrapping up work today? You feel like uh, a couple of beers? And it was either a yes or a no. And if it was a yes, my dad would pick up a six-pack and drive to the uh, Walt's building there, which, as I under if I understand it correctly from my dad's telling of it, was a two-story white building. I think, and I'm, I might be wrong, right or wrong on this, I think it was called Buena Vista Studios, but I'm not sure. But he would uh, go past the guard of the small parking lot and up the, up the stairs and bring the six-pack in, and he and Walt would just shoot the breeze. Uh, sometimes for a half an hour, sometimes for a couple hours. And Disney was, according to my dad, one of the most creative people he'd ever met. He would even be scribbling while they were talking. Uh, but he definitely enjoyed his time off, and he def definitely enjoyed 
uh, getting away from the subject and talking about other things. But Dad said the thing that he always impressed him about Disney was that he spoke openly. He didn't. Uh, he didn't have any pretense. Uh, he had. A, he definitely had his dream of building that park and seeing his uh, movies, which were already in place, uh, succeed. But he was. Uh, he was an honest guy, and he was the kind of. He was the kind of person that anybody would want as a role model. He didn't have quit in his lexicon. They just. <laughs> No, no idea what it was like to give up on something, and he certainly did face his number of obstacles. But they became they became good friends, and uh, it was just a story I wanted to share with you. I never get to meet him, but uh, when Disneyland opened, and all the kids who had uh, worked for contractors, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, were allowed in uh, on that first official day. They opened the big gate, and all the kids came pouring through, and I was one of those kids, along with my sister. Wow. And, How uh, old were you? What a playland that was. Uh, I was, um, I believe I was six uh, when the park opened. That's incredible. You know, the first person to ride any of the rides in Disneyland was Walt <laughs> Disney himself. Um, and, in fact, on that day you went there, you probably didn't even see it, but the, actually the, it wasn't even done. Yeah. Um, and in a strange way, he was like, that's fine. It's never going to be done. It's going to constantly expand. So there were things that, you know, you can go into, you know, Tomorrowland and it would only go to X part and there would be a wall there. Um, but I love, I love that story. Thank you for sharing that. I, I, you know, it's, it's funny that you say what you described about him, about never having the word quit in his lexicon. That's what the book is about. It just shows failure after failure. And that's the only way you succeed. That's it. You know, we all, we all want to, to, you know, achieve for, especially for our kids, we want them to achieve whatever their dream is, but it only happens with failure. It never just happens to anyone, even the best of us. And I love that my take on, in, in this book, I am Walt Disney matches exactly your father's experience with him. Yeah. I think uh, from all that he told me, you're, you're, you're right on the money about That's him. Wonderful. Wonderful man. Marie Curie, uh, the book impressed me just as much about the trials uh, and the path that she had to take when when schools wouldn't even accept a woman. And she just had this burning desire to become a scientist. And all she went through just to get to where she could get to the books. <laughs> and then once she got to that, she mastered those. And then it was and then the rest was coming from her, just creative energy. But what a fantastic story. Yeah, her story amazed me. I actually didn't know much about her. Of course, knew her name as Madame Curie and things like that. But I, I was like, you know, I really wanted to do a, from my kids a female scientist. And when she was a little girl, the Russian government didn't want Polish kids to be taught anything about science. They didn't even want them educated because they thought it would give them too much power. And you know what? It did. That's exactly what education does. And she decides, you know, she's really good at math. She's really good at, as a student. But she decides at a young age, in her teens, she's like, I want to be a scientist. That's how she wants to change the world. But the problem is that their universities, the colleges where she was, wouldn't accept, kid, wouldn't accept women and teach them any science. But this amazing thing uh, is started called the Flying University. And it obviously doesn't really fly, but it, it is a secret university that started to teach women science. And it's there in this secret college where she learns about the periodic table, about how elements work, about atoms and everything else. And it does unlock power in her. 
she goes on in her life to start studying this uh, this element called uranium, which we, of course, know now, but back then no one knew anything about. She starts realizing that it emits energy, and she starts measuring that energy. She even invents a word for it. The word she invents is called radioactivity. That's where it comes from, Marie Curie. Um, she wins a Nobel Prize. They don't even want her speaking at the Nobel Prize acceptance uh, ceremony because she's a woman. And then she wins another Nobel Prize in a different category, becomes the first person, man or woman, to win two Nobel Prizes in two different categories. It was in chemistry, and, I think, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it was in chemistry. And, and what's amazing is she, again, keeps going. And I think my favorite moment in the book is there's this moment in the middle where you see her kind of mixing different chemicals together and it goes, poof, it blows up in her face. She says, well, let me try it this way. And then it goes, poof, it blows up in her face again. And she let me try it this way. Poof, blows up in her face again. Try it this way. Poof, blows up in her face again and again and again and again. And finally she and says, ta-da, I had lots of accidents and failures. Making change is never easy. It takes hard work. And that and that's exactly why we paired Marie Curie with Walt Disney, is they both had that hard work uh, element, you know, to really forgive the pun. But for us, it was just a vital lesson that is so necessary right now. Because I think one of the things we do in the world today is is that focus on fame. Uh, we lose that sense of character. We need to bring that level of character back to what we're teaching our kids. And Marie Curie gives me this perfect way to show that you you know the, there's a power in discovery. There's a power in finding something new. And the only way to get on that path and get through that path is through failure after failure after failure. That's how you unlock the real power of discovery. In your research, did you ever find what happened to the one gram of radium that uh, President Harding gave to her in a locked box? Yeah, isn't that great? So, yeah, she eventually comes to the United States, and the women of the United States are so enamored with her. They, they're so excited to have her there that they save all this money was the equivalent of $100,000 to make to get a gram of radium together so the great Marie Curie can study it. Um, and she does, she, you know, the, I actually forget what, you know, what happened to that particular gram, but they have to give it to her in a tiny little locked box at the White House, which is, you know, a crazy idea. Like, imagine going and, you know, you want to present to the president, like, you know, a, a radioactive material. Yeah, right. Here's you know, a pound of plutonium. Bananas, right? <laughs> this is just always like, that's how Back to the Future starts, right? Like, that's the, that's the equivalent of the, of the Libyans coming when Doc Brown is at the Twin Pines Mall. Um, but, but there they are with their, you know, their bit of, of, uh, of radium as, as they're inspired. But I think what is amazing is it was all the women that collected the money. It was all the women that wanted to cheer on this woman scientist who was changing the world. And, and in a strange odd way, that's why I know everyone calls it the I Am series because of the titles. But what's in the top left corner of the book is it's called the Ordinary People Change the World series. Because it's my core belief. I, I believe ordinary people change the world. I don't care where you went to school. I don't care how much money you make. That's nonsense to me. Uh, I believe in regular people and their ability to affect change in this world. And it's why I believe and a little boy named Walt Disney, and a little girl named Marie Curie. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Brad, for joining us today and for telling us about your work. These books are fantastic. I can recommend them to all of our listeners. Ordinary People Change the World is by Brad Meltzer, illustrated by Christopher Eliopoulos, and there are a lot of choices out there. 
Uh, could you give uh, everybody your website and contact information so they know so they can find these books and more about what you're doing? Absolutely. So they can go to ordinarypeoplechangetheworld.com or go to bradmelzer.com. And it's like seltzer that you drink, but with an M like Mary, bradmelzer.com. You'll find all the books. You can even see in each one of them uh, all the different art. Well, Brad, thank you so much. And uh, congratulations also to Chris for his great work. Uh, these are going to go a long ways, but always do keep in touch with us, please, on any new, pro new projects that you have. We would appreciate it. I appreciate it, sir. Thank you so much for doing it. Thank you, Brad. Take care. Thanks for joining us, 1001 fans. If you enjoyed this episode, please do send us a review at Apple Podcast app or at castbox.fm or stitcher.com. Yes, it might take you a few minutes, I know, but we appreciate it very much, and it helps us in the rankings, which helps people find us. And about that new announcement, we're launching a new show called 1001's History Storytellers, and here we will combine history author interviews both fiction and nonfiction, with accounts and excerpts from a wide variety of witnesses to history. All family-friendly and all chosen to enlighten, inform, and entertain. It's history as it really was, not as someone has revised it to appear to fit present-day ideas. Our stories and interviews will inspire all ages and encourage more reading and discovery. All a part of 1001's devious scheme to get more people away from TV and into the most entertaining history class you will ever attend, if we're doing our job right. All coming within a few weeks, and we'll let you know when we're launched into all the apps. So stay tuned. Lots happening here. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn, and this is our story.